Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 22. Luke, chapter 22. And here we will read of Jesus celebrating the Passover with his disciples and then instituting the Lord's Supper, which is, about, which is what the Lord's Day 28 is about this morning. Luke 22, now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. And he went his way and communed with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him unto them. And they were glad and covenanted to give him money. And he promised and sought opportunity to betray him unto them in the absence of the multitude. Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare us the Passover, that we may eat. And they said unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare? And he said unto them, Behold, when ye are entered into the city, there shall a man meet you bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he entereth in. And ye shall say unto the good man of the house, The master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber, where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he shall show you a large upper room furnished, there make ready. And they went and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. When the hour was come, he sat down, and the twelve apostles with him, and he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of, kingdom of God shall come. Now that far is the Passover and now the institution of the Lord's Supper in verse 19. And he took bread and gave thanks and brake it and gave unto them saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. So far we read God's holy word. Based on that and many other passages of God's word is the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 28. Lord's Day 28. There in question 75, the Catechism asks, How art thou admonished and assured? Now notice there's two words there, admonished, that's a command, and then assured. How art thou admonished and assured in the Lord's Supper that thou art a partaker of that one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross and of all his benefits. Thus, and now what you have first is the admonition, the command, that Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat of this broken bread and to drink of this cup in remembrance of him. So there's the admonition and now the assurance comes with two promises, adding these promises. First, that his body was offered 
and broken on the cross for me and his blood shed for me as certainly as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup communicated to me. So that's the first promise or assurance. The second and further that he feeds and nourishes my soul to everlasting life with his crucified body and shed blood as assuredly as I receive from the hands of the minister and taste with my mouth the bread and cup of the Lord as certain signs of the body and blood of Christ. <laughs> We've talked then about eating the body of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Well, the catechism explains that in question 76. What is it then? To eat the crucified body and drink the shed blood of Christ. It is not only to embrace with a believing heart all the sufferings and death of Christ and thereby to obtain the pardon of sin and life eternal. So that's part of eating. But also, besides that, to become more and more united to his sacred body by the Holy Ghost. Both in Christ and in us, so that though Christ is in heaven and we on earth, are notwithstanding flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone, and that we live and are governed forever by one spirit, as members of the same body are by one soul. Where has Christ promised that he will as certainly feed and nourish believers with his body and blood as they eat of this broken bread and drink of this cup? In the institution of the supper, which is expressed. The Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. This promise is repeated by the Holy Apostle Paul, where he says, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion, the partaking of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion, the partaking of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body because we are all partakers of that one bread. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, I remind you that we are in the second section of the Catechism, which deals with deliverance. Deliverance from sin, deliverance from guilt, by the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what this whole section is about. All the blessings of Christ and his atoning death become ours by faith. And the Catechism earlier in Lord's Day 25 said, well, where does this faith come from? Whence proceedeth this faith? And the answer of the Catechism was first, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives you faith. The Holy Spirit gives you faith by the preaching of the gospel. That's how he works faith. And then he confirms that faith by the use of the sacraments. Preaching is first. That's the chief means of grace. 
and the sacraments confirm that faith. All the children know we have two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. So the catechism now begins to explain these because they're so important. They're, they're means of grace to us. The catechism will explain baptism and the Lord's Supper to us. They convey, God uses the sacrament, convey the same grace to us that he conveys through the preaching of the gospel. And by the same means, faith, by faith. The sacraments strengthen faith. And as faith is strengthened, it more and more lays hold on Jesus Christ and all his blessings become ours. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are similar, and yet there are obvious differences. I will point out four differences. In the first place, baptism incorporate, is a picture now of incorporation into Jesus Christ, of being grafted into him. It's a picture of regeneration because as soon as you are connected to Jesus Christ, his life flows to you. So baptism pictures regeneration and incorporation into Christ. But the Lord's Supper points to the continued growth of that person who is alive in Jesus Christ, continued growth and development in holiness, which is sanctification. Secondly, baptism is a sign of being received into God's covenant of grace. It's a sign of the covenant. The Lord's Supper is a sign of continued fellowship with God in that covenant. So baptism says you're brought into the covenant. The Lord's Supper says now you're continuing in that covenant. You're fellowshipping with God. Third, baptism is administered only once because you're only born once. But the Lord's Supper says, but now that you're born, you need continued food to sustain your life. And the Lord's Supper says, God gives you that food. He will sustain your life continually all through your life. And finally, baptism, in baptism, we are passive. We are passive. In the Lord's Supper, we are active. We actively reach out, take the bread, and we put it in our mouth and we chew it and swallow it. We actively participate in the sacrament by faith. Whereas as a baby, we are passive. The truth about the Lord's Supper is very important for our lives. It's really part of the foundation of our doctrine of the covenant. The covenant that is not an agreement with God, but a covenant which is a relationship of friendship. Well, the Lord's Supper is part of our life of friendship with God. We fellowship with God through the Lord's Supper. It's part of our covenant life with God. And so it's important that we understand what, what happens when we partake of the Lord's Supper. With all that in mind, let's consider this Lord's Day under the theme, the Supper of the Lord. The Supper of the Lord. Well, notice in the first place, a sacrificial meal. A sacrificial meal. Secondly, a nourishing meal. It strengthens. It's a nourishing meal. And thirdly, it's a beneficial meal. It has benefits for us in our life. The Lord's Supper, first of all, then, is a sacrificial meal. And that's evident from the connection that the Bible makes between the Passover on the one hand and the Lord's Supper on the other hand. The Passover was a sacrifice and a meal. A sacrifice and a meal. God did that in the Old Testament. There were some sacrifices where the Israelites would partake of the sacrifice. Some not. When Israel would offer the whole burnt offering, the whole thing was offered to God. 
For a sin offering, the Israelite would take a lamb or a goat and offer it to God and the whole animal would be sacrificed. But there were other sacrifices where God made a provision that part of the animal would be laid on the altar, part of it would be given to the priests for them to eat, and part of it would be taken and the family in the, not in the temple, but by the temple of God would partake of the meal. God relinquished some of the sacrifice and allowed Israel to partake of some of the sacrifice at the temple. God was meeting with them in covenant fellowship at his house on the basis of the sacrifice itself. There had to be a sacrifice. Blood had to be shed. And then on the basis of that, they could fellowship with a meal at God's house. That was part of the sacrificial life of Israel. Now, among all the ceremonies in Israel's worship, the Passover was, if not the most important, it was, it was certainly a, most, a very important part of their life. It was given to Israel in, in their history, and all the, the children remember that, how Israel was a, was a nation of slaves in Egypt, and God came to deliver them, and he sent nine terrible plagues. Water changed to blood, frogs covered the land, lice changed to blood, all the way up to the ninth plague, three hour, three days of pitch black darkness. And now the, the, ninth, the tenth plague, rather, would be the worst as God would kill the firstborn in every family in Egypt. And God gave to Israel the Passover feast. In that Passover feast, they were to take a lamb of one year old and kill that lamb and take the blood and put that blood on the doorpost around their house. And every house that had the blood of that lamb on it the angel of death would pass over that house, would not kill the firstborn in that house. He would pass over it. And so the feast itself becomes the Passover feast, pointing to the fact that God would save his people from death, save them from sin, save them from the bondage of Egypt, the Passover but it was also fellowship with God because they would eat the lamb along with other things. They would partake of it, and it was therefore a sacrifice, which was also a meal with God. Fellowship. That all that's, this is true, pointing to Jesus Christ, Paul makes plain in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says this, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Christ is the Passover lamb who has been sacrificed for us. So the whole of the Passover feast pointed ahead to Jesus, whose blood alone would be the blood that would save us from death and destruction. And so Jesus and his disciples had a Passover meal. It included a lamb, bitter herbs, unleavened bread, and wine. Those four elements in the Passover lamb. The lamb, the bitter herbs, the unleavened bread, and the wine. Three times in the Passover feast, the wine was passed around the family. After the first, they would partake of the lamb. After the second time, the, the wine was passed around, the father would recount the story of God delivering Israel out of Egypt. The third time, that the, land, that the wine was passed around, it was a time of great joy and thankfulness to God for delivering them from death. 
And it's right there that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper replaced the Passover. The Passover ought not be celebrated any longer because the true Passover, Jesus, would sacrifice himself, making the Passover, which looked ahead, commemorating a past event of deliverance, but looking ahead to Jesus Christ, that would be inappropriate. The Lord's Supper would now commemorate the true sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. The Lord's Supper is a meal. It is a meal for us. Instituted by Jesus. It's important that it be instituted by Jesus as something particular. And that's why the catechism in question 87 says, well, how do we know all this is true? Where did, where did Jesus say that all that is true? And it says, in the institution of it, Jesus had to institute it and say, now this is what you must do. This do, he says to his disciples and to us. Do this. That's because it is a God-ordained means of grace to us. So it's important that we know it is commanded by Jesus himself. In the Lord's Supper, Jesus is the host. Jesus is the host. He calls us to the table. The table is important. Many of our tables, like yours, doesn't look like a table. doesn't look like our dinner table. It's, it's kind of unfortunate. This is a table. It's not an altar. It would be nice if we could all gather around a table to remind ourselves this is a meal around a table. Keep that in mind as you are having the Lord's Supper, that we're really coming to a table and at that table, then, Jesus calls us to come. We are commanded. That's one of the first things that I pointed out in the catechism. How are you admonished? Well, Jesus commands us, come to the table. And he gives us food. In our Lord's Supper, the minister represents Christ. He represents Christ. Preaching is the chief means of grace. The right to preach is given only to an ordained minister. And because the sacraments and the preaching of the word are inseparable, only a man who is ordained to preach may also administer the sacraments. That's the connection there. Not just anybody may preach. Not just anyone may administer the sacraments. Word and sacrament go together. The minister represents Christ. That's one of the things you may have noticed as we read in the, four, in the Lord's Supper, how it said, as I receive the bread from the hand of the minister. How are you receiving the bread from the hand of the minister? Again, it would be nice in a sense if we all sat around a table and the minister would hold out a piece of bread to each person. But failing that, what we have is, and you notice how, remember, the minister comes down and the elders stand up and the minister picks up the bread and hands it to them. They, he doesn't just say, well, come and get the bread now. And they pick it up and walk up. No, the minister picks it up and hands it to them. The point is, Jesus Christ, through that minister, is giving it to them that they may administer it to the whole congregation. You are receiving the bread from the hand of Christ. He is the host at this supper. And he dispenses. He calls us to the table. He dispenses the food. And then he says to you and to me, take, eat. And then he says, drink, all of you. He tells us what to do at his table. It is a meal. It is a sacrificial meal. The elements that are at the Lord's Supper are not arbitrary. 
The bread and the wine correspond unto the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And God in his perfect wisdom gives us elements that make sense to us. Just as with baptism, we don't anoint by pouring oil on the baby or sprinkling sand on the baby. We put water on the baby because water cleanses. That's an appropriate symbol. So with the Lord's Supper, the bread is an appropriate symbol of the body of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He said, the manna of the Old Testament, that was a picture of me. So the bread at the table is an appropriate picture of the body of Jesus Christ. And the, and the wine, the color of the wine, is appropriate as a symbol of the blood of Jesus Christ. And then there are actions. The blessing, the thanking that are part of the Lord's Supper. When Jesus blessed the bread, it wasn't that Jesus was making the bread holy. What Jesus was doing was thanking God. The blessing and the, and the thanksgiving of the Lord's Supper is all up to God thanking him, blessing his name, as in first, rather in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, we read, Blessed be God. That's the word used in the, in the Bible. Blessed be God. The Lord's Supper is all an, a time where the people of God are thanking God and blessing him for his marvelous work of salvation. And then breaking the bread. The bread, the minister stops, and for a moment he holds the bread up and he breaks it for everyone to see. Because the broken bread points to the cross of Jesus Christ, points to the fact that the body of Jesus Christ went through the agony of hell. It was broken for us. And then in the Lord's Supper, the minister takes the, the wine and he pours it deliberately so that everyone may see it. And the point is the 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 blood of Jesus Christ was poured out for us. We have to see that. The shedding of blood. Cleansing, atoning blood. Now the catechism says about that in the very first question and answer that his body was offered. This is the first promise. His body was offered and broken on the cross for me. This is what Jesus is promising you in the Lord's Supper. His blood was shed for me as certainly as I, with my eyes, I see the bread of the Lord broken to me and the wine communicated to me as certain as that happens so certainly can I know Jesus died for me. That's, that's what God is saying to you through the Lord's Supper. As certainly as you see that bread broken and then given to you, so certainly do you know Jesus died for you. That's the beautiful promise that he gives Now, I said the Lord's Supper is a sacrificial meal, but it's not a sacrifice. It's emphatically not a sacrifice. Because the elements change from the Passover. The lamb and the bitter herbs are taken away. They're not part of the Lord's Supper. The wine and the bread remain. And the table, the table, not an altar as Rome has, but a table. The wine and the bread. It is a supper. It is a supper that commemorates, not reenacts, as Rome would have it, that commemorates the bitter suffering and death of Jesus Christ. It points us to the forgiveness of sins. It assures us of the forgiveness of sins. And of the fellowship we have with God through 
that suffering and death of Jesus Christ. That's what the Lord's Supper is doing. A sacrificial meal. In this way, the Lord's Supper is also a nourishing meal. A nourishing meal. Because in the Supper, Jesus is giving himself to us. He is feeding us with himself. Jesus commands, take, this bread is my body, take, eat. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, drink ye all. All of you, drink, drink of this. In question 75, the second promise is this. He feeds and nourishes my soul to everlasting life. With his crucified body and shed blood, he's feeding my soul with his crucified body and shed blood. As assuredly as I receive from the hands of the minister and taste with my mouth the bread and cup of the Lord as certain signs, signs of the blood, the body and blood of Jesus Christ. He's feeding my soul. This is an actual partaking. This is not a physical partaking. The bread does not become the body of Christ. You'll get into that in the next Lord's Days. The, the blood, the wine does not become the blood of Jesus, nor is it that under the form of bread, Jesus' body is tucked away inside, or that his blood is somehow included in the cup of wine. No, it's not a physical partaking. It is a spiritual partaking, but it is a real partaking of Jesus Christ. As we put the bread into our mouths, Christ is feeding our souls. He's feeding our souls. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Catechism draws attention to that when it speaks of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who dwells in Christ and in us. The Holy Spirit is the only one who can do this. The Spirit unites God's people with Jesus Christ so that they share in the whole of Christ. They share in the whole of Christ and all his benefits. We are so connected to him that we can never be separated from Jesus Christ. Death will not separate us. The grave will not separate us. We are united to Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. And the, the Lord's Supper is part of that. Part of being united more and more to Jesus Christ. We must, in this meal, therefore, partake of Christ. We must. Christ gives himself to us. This is an essential part of the Lord's Supper. It would not be enough for the minister simply to break the bread and say, this is a symbol of the broken body of Jesus Christ and put it down. And pour the wine and say, this is a symbol of the blood of Jesus Christ and then put it down. No, we must partake. That's an essential part of the, of the sacraments. Partaking of the bread and the wine. With this, the Lord's Supper is teaching us something, and all the children can understand that. If you don't eat, your physical body will become weaker and weaker and weaker, and finally it will die. You need food to keep your natural life alive. You need food that will strengthen you, and, and as you eat that food, what happens? Well, it goes into your stomach, and your stomach just digests it, and then it gets spread through the whole of your body. And, you're, and the food becomes a part of you. 
and it it renews your blood cells and your nerve cells and your muscle cells and, and it's able to to have life in your body because you are partaking of food and and some people would say well you are what you eat you are what you eat what you eat physically will have a great impact on your physical body well, now, from a spiritual point of view, take that now, take that and apply it to the spiritual, and you say, I must partake spiritually of Christ. I must. He becomes one with you. Not, not that his divine nature becomes yours and you become divine, not that, that's impossible. Not that the unity is such as it is within the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who are one essence. We're not one essence with Jesus. It's not even as the two natures of Jesus, the human and the divine, which become one and never will be separated, though it, it points in that direction. We remain distinct, Jesus and us. We remain distinct people. And yet, there is... A union. Sometimes in the Reformed faith it's called a mystical union. A mystical union because it's not a physical thing. It's not something you can see or touch. But every single believer is connected to Jesus Christ by a bond of faith. We are connected to Jesus Christ by a bond of faith. Otherwise you don't have any life in you. You have to have Christ, and you have him in you by faith. Question 76 now. In the middle of that answer, question 76. Also this, beside that, to become more and more united to his sacred body by the Holy Ghost. To become more and more united to him. You can have kind of a loose connection to Jesus. When your faith isn't very strong. When you're living your life here on this earth and once in a while you think about God but not very much. He's not very important to you. Then you have kind of a loose connection. You want that to be more and more connected to Jesus Christ. You want that bond to be stronger. You want it to be a living part of your life, a living bond, more and more united to Jesus Christ. That's what's happening in the Lord's Supper. We are being more and more united to Jesus. Now, Jesus, I remind you, is God and man. Inseparable. When we are united to Jesus, we are not merely united to half of him. We are united to the whole of Jesus. God and man. United to him. He is the absolute perfect Savior. He came into this world in our flesh. He lived a perfect life. He gave himself to the death of the cross in order to redeem us from our sins. He accomplished all of that as only he could. He arose again so that his, his earthly body has eternal life in it. It will never die. And all of that, all those benefits are ours when we partake of Christ. All those benefits become ours. Pardon for sins. That's the first thing question 76 reminds us of. When you embrace with a believing heart all the sufferings in Jesus Christ and thereby obtain pardon of sin and life eternal. That's what we're getting, not for the first time, but more of it. The pardon of your sin. Don't you come to the table of the Lord for that? Don't you come there recognizing the sin and, and the need for forgiveness? Well, that's, where you, that's what you get there. You get pardon for sin. And life eternal. Again, not for the first time, 
But that life is strengthened. The life is renewed just as you can become weak, weak, weak without eating. And suddenly after eating, you, be, you feel so much stronger, so much better. So at the table of the Lord, spiritually, we are revived. We're made stronger at the table. It is a nourishing meal. Because we are partaking of Jesus Christ. For that to happen, Christ himself must be present at his supper. That's true in preaching. We'll talk about that tonight. This afternoon. That... Christ speaks to us through preaching. Well, in the Lord's Supper, Christ must be present. In preaching, Christ gives us faith so that as we hear the preaching of the gospel, by faith we take hold of that Jesus Christ and we say, I believe in him. In the Lord's Supper, Christ is bestowing to us the thing that is symbolized. In the broken bread is symbolized his crucified body. He's giving us his crucified body. In the poured out wine he is, is symbolized his shed blood. He is giving us his shed blood. Is an activity of Jesus. Not as Rome. Rome says, well, the body, the, the little wafer there becomes the body of Jesus Christ, and you pick it up and you eat it. Or as the Lutherans say, Jesus is tucked away inside the bread, and so you take him and you eat it. No, that's true, we take and eat. But Jesus is there feeding us. He's imparting to us his crucified body and shed blood in the Lord's Supper. He's actively giving himself to the believer. It is a nourishing meal. And therefore, there's tremendous benefit. It's a beneficial meal. Only by faith. As with the preaching of the gospel, the preaching will do you no good if you are not a believer. The same thing is true of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is of absolutely no value to anyone who sees it or partakes of it without faith. Not that the truth of the preaching or the truth of the sacrament depends on faith. The preaching is true regardless of whether you believe it or not. The sacrament that points to the suffering of Jesus Christ and his death are real. Whether you believe it or not, that doesn't depend on your faith. But in fact, the one who partakes of the Lord's Supper without faith will only partake to his or her condemnation. To her condemnation. A terrible judgment is. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1, speaks of false teachers. And it says of those false teachers, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Now, the Lord did not really buy them, but they were coming to the table of the Lord and they were saying, ah, yes, the Lord bought me. I've been purchased in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what they said. Someone who comes to the table of the Lord is saying that. Jesus has purchased me with his own blood. But if they're not a believer, it isn't true. It's not true. He didn't purchase them. It's all a lie. And that will be to their most terrible judgment. 
that they came here and pretended that they believed in Jesus, pretended that he purchased them, and then walked away. God's judgment is upon that act. Terrible judgment. Faith in Jesus Christ. Faith is worked by the Spirit through the preaching, as we said. Faith that takes hold of Jesus and receives him and all his benefits. Already in the preaching, we receive Jesus and all his benefits. And now, in the sacraments, that's confirmed. The sacraments confirm that strength, that, that faith. The faith that says, I belong to Jesus. The sacraments make that a stronger conviction. I belong to him. His blessings are mine. As very really as I see the minister break the bread and it's given to me and I eat it by faith, so my faith is strengthened that he died. His body was broken for me. It's confirming that strength, making it stronger. And therefore there are benefits. We become one with Jesus Christ, more and more one with his body. Members are brought together into one body. There's unity expressed, unity that is worked by the Holy Spirit. You remember the form, how it speaks of the fact as there are many grains of wheat ground and one bread baked, and how many berries being pressed together, one wine floweth and mixeth itself together, so are we. All of us, all these different people with all their different makeups and different circumstances of life, one body. The Holy Spirit is, the, the Lord's Supper is not merely a symbol of that. The, the Lord's Supper is working that unity, working it. There's a benefit. Celebration of the Lord's Supper, proper celebration. <coughs> Paul pointed that out to the Corinthians. He said, when you come to the Supper of the Lord, the way you're behaving, you are not unified. It's not bringing you together. You can't even celebrate the Lord's Supper. You're, you're, you're treating each other so wickedly. You're not examining yourselves. You're not seeing your sins. You're not coming to the table of the Lord and confessing your sin. And therefore, it's not benefiting you. It's not unifying you. People of God, if we come to the table of the Lord, we must not merely say, oh, I'm a believer, therefore I'm coming. We must come properly. Confessing our sins, recognizing our dreadful need for Jesus Christ, and that without him we perish, then the Lord feeds our souls. Then he unifies us as a body, in that way only. In that way, it's a confession of faith together. The Lord's Supper is a memorial. It is a remembering of something. It's a proclamation of his death. We are proclaiming his death to each other. We are proclaiming his death to the world. Jesus died. He died for sinners. He died for me. This is our confession of faith as we come together in 
the Lord's Supper. That we believe in him. That unified confession brings us together. But it's also a celebration. It's a celebration of joy in the Lord's Supper. Our form is a beautiful form, and it it includes that part of it too, although unfortunately it's not a great translation. The cup of blessing which we bless is the way our English translation has it. The Dutch says it very differently. Well, differently. It says the cup of thanksgiving with which we give thanks. And that's why we insist, too, that the Lord's Supper will be with wine, not grape juice, because wine makes glad the heart of man. Wine is used in celebrations. And when we come together at the table of the Lord, we're celebrating, we're rejoicing, we're giving thanks. And that's that part of the Lord's Supper, too. The cup of thanksgiving with which we give thanks, with which we bless God. That's to a part of our meal together. Unifying us, confessing our faith together, celebrating the wonder of salvation in Jesus Christ. And again, that points to the joy we have. This is a meal. We are fellowshipping with God. We're enjoying covenant life with God. That's what the Lord's Supper is reminding us, but it is that, and pointing out that one day, as Jesus also in this passage reminds them, there's coming a day when there will be a much better supper, the supper of our Lord, the celebration at the great wedding feast of Christ and his church in all eternity, forever and ever. This is just a foretaste. What a beautiful blessing it is. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy abundant goodness, for the gift of thy Son, Jesus Christ, and then that in thy goodness thou hast also given us this meal, the Lord's Supper, to strengthen our faith, to unite us more and more to him and then to each other. Give us understanding, conviction, faith that holds on to this and to our Lord Jesus and so strengthen us. We so badly need it. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.